0: Well, we're going to look just briefly uh, this morning at the last letter to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. And as we've been going through the book of Revelation, we've seen at the front end that uh, Pastor John, who's the author of the book of Revelation, he's imprisoned on the island of Patmos, and he's written these seven letters to his congregations, to the churches which are in mainland uh, Turkey, modern-day Turkey. And he has words for them that he wants them to pay attention to, words of commendation, correction, words of invitation. And so today we're going to look at the final letter to that church. And you know what? This letter is actually the hardest-hitting kind of letter Uh, Because John and Jesus pull no punches with this particular church in the city of Laodicea. In fact, there's actually no words of commendation for them at all. He just begins right away and says, we have some challenges that we need to address. So we're going to look at uh, this this morning. So turn with me in your Bibles or on your uh, devices. You can open the Jericho app and go to Revelation chapter 3. And we're going to look in verse 14. And there's two images that come up in this text that are really very well-known images, and they're very striking images. So can you guess which are the two images that come up in this? Get there in your Bible and then have a little look ahead, read ahead. The door, I stand at the door and knock. That's one of them. What's the second one? I will spew you out of my mouth. Yeah, so these very almost graphic kind of images that come up in this text. So the spewing out of the mouth and then the standing at the door and knocking image. And both of these are so strong that they've become a part of our Christian imagination for centuries. But we're going to discover today that actually most of us have likely misread certain elements of those images. And we've gotten it just slightly askew in one or more of those areas. And we've absorbed some wrong ideas then about what we should be doing or not doing based on that. So we're going to look at both of those this morning. Let me explain what I mean as we go through and read the text. Grab your Bibles in Revelation chapter 3. We'll start reading in verse 14. John writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, write this letter to the church in Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning or the firstborn of God's new creation. This is the letter from Jesus to his church. I know the things that you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But... Since you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Other translations say it even more graphically. I will vomit you out of my mouth. It's pretty bad if the first thing that Jesus says to your church is, When I think of you, I want to throw up. He's not pleased with what's happening here. But remember, Jesus is always speaking to these churches in language that they understand and make sense to them. And Jesus often picks up on some element of a unique geography or unique aspect of their culture in that city, aspects of their own civic life to help them understand what it is that he's trying to tell them. So what's up with this lukewarm water thing then that Jesus brings up right off the bat? Well, the city of Laodicea in the first century, actually had the exact issue that we've tried to highlight a little bit for you here this morning. They had a water problem. They did not have a water source in the city of Laodicea. it was located in a in a, a river valley, but they were not on the river. They were uh, several kilometers away from the river so they were it was a great location for trade routes, but it was horrible for water and for the city. so they came up with a solution, and their solution was. Uh, to find the the best source of water at Colossae, that's the city where the book of Colossians was written to, and to build a very complicated system of aqueducts uh, that you can still see today, actually, if you go into that valley and see the remains of them. And so this system of stone pipes conducted cold water all the way from Colossae all the way to the city of Laodicea. And so they were able to, through feats of engineering, actually get water to a place where it didn't belong. So that was their solution to get cold, refreshing water to the city. They also had a hot water source, which was six miles away in the other direction in the city of Heropolis. And the city of Heropolis is famous even today for uh, these types of mineral deposits and it's a natural hot water spring that bubbles up there. And so it was famous for uh, being a place of healing. These springs had medicinal qualities to them. Better than radium, better than Harrison. Like this thing extends for over a mile long and it's about 300 feet tall of this hot water cascading down into these different pools. And so people would go there and they Uh, In the ancient world, and even today, tourists go there. And it's a pretty impressive sight, this mile-wide, 300-foot-long wall of calcium carbonate as it spills over the cliffs close to Laodicea. Uh, But the challenge was that both as the cold water traveled from Colossae to Laodicea and went through these pipes... It wasn't quite so fresh as when it started from the spring. And then the hot water, as the hot water traveled from the hill down into the valley, it started to lose temperature. And it both by the time that they got to the city of Laodicea, both the cold water and the hot water was actually lukewarm. It was putrid, in fact. And so the hot water... Uh, some historians record about the fact that it was just disgusting. It was undrinkable. And sometimes unsuspecting tourists would come to the city and think, oh, this is water from Heropolis. That's wonderful healing waters. And they would get into it, and it would so nauseate them that they would vomit all over the place. And so Jesus picks up on this and says, you know what? You guys know a little bit about lukewarmness, don't you? Dr. Gerald Johnson in his book suggests everybody in Laodicea knew about the hot medicinal water from Heropolis and the cold, refreshing water from Colossae, and they knew that by the time it got to them, they had neither. But the problem was that the water at Laodicea was just lukewarm. And the church at Laodicea had also become spiritually lukewarm. They were neither providing refreshing For the spiritual weary, nor were they providing healing for the spiritually sick. They were totally ineffective and thus distasteful to its Lord. And here's where we get our first kind of misread in this text. Look carefully, what does does Jesus say about the cold water? Sometimes we set this up in our minds and we think, oh yeah, it would be hot water, that's like spiritually on fire, passionate for Jesus. Cold is bad. What does it say in the text? I wish you were either hot or I wish you were cold. Cold is okay. <laughs> Being a source of refreshing to people who are thirsty, spiritually and otherwise, Jesus said, That's good. I'm okay with that. What I am not okay with is this kind of mixing of those two things, that you're just kind of tepid in everything that you do. I wish that you were either hot and providing healing, or you were cold and providing refreshing. Hot is okay, cold is okay. What's not okay is this in-between business, lukewarmness in our spiritual lives. C.S. Lewis, uh, in his fictional book, The Screwtape Letters, he tells about a senior demon writing to a junior demon, his nephew, named Wormwood. And he's telling him about the techniques of temptation, like what's most effective to try and steer the human race into all kinds of trouble. And he tells him, the goal, my dear Wormwood, is not wickedness, but indifference. Just persuade, don't persuade good people to do evil. Simply persuade them to do nothing at all. When they hear about a need in a place like Syria, just tell them, that's okay, other people will meet that need. Tell them, oh, it seems too big, you shouldn't take that on. Don't tempt them to evil, just tempt them to indifference. Do nothing. The important thing, Screwtape says, is to keep your patient comfortable. Don't let anything upset or disturb them. If they become the least bit concerned with anything important, distract them with what they plan to eat for lunch. Warn them not to worry about anything that might upset their digestion. Then he says this line, sums up his advice to his nephew and says, don't worry, I will always see to it that there are bad people in the world. Your job, my dear Wormwood, is to simply provide me with people who do not care. People who are spiritually lukewarm. Some of the greatest thinkers and advocates of our day, both who are Christian in their faith perspective and not, are beginning to warn us that ad apathy might be the greatest challenge of our age. Apathy is a challenge because it, it works against creating a heart that is filled with genuine thanksgiving and genuine warmth towards what it is that God might invite us to do if it challenges us, pushes us outside of our comfort zone. And it's intriguing to me that the church at Laodicea is not critiqued for having wrong theology. The problem is they just stopped caring. There was no zeal, no passion. Well, they were polite, they were respectful, they held convictions about Jesus. They didn't just care to actually do anything in real life about it. Maybe they liked a social justice post on Facebook or they shared a Toby Mac Speak Life Instagram picture and felt really proud of themselves, gave a few bucks to a charitable cause here and then, and thought, yeah, I'm doing my bit for people who are poor. It's pretty lukewarm. Your deeds are neither hot nor cold, just lukewarm. And that was the number one problem in this church, just indifference, lukewarm indifference. G. Campbell Morgan, a famous British preacher once said, lukewarmness is actually the worst force of worst form of blasphemy it makes a mockery a complete mockery of who god is and what he's invited us into lukewarm indifference is not just a condition that needs a slight adjustment in our hearts it's a sin it's something that makes jesus want to vomit But what actually causes lukewarm indifference in our lives? Well, if we keep reading, we find out. Look with me at Revelation 3, 17 to 19. Jesus says to this church, Oh, yeah, you guys say to yourself in Laodicea, I'm rich, I have everything I want, I don't need a thing. And you don't realize you're poor and you're blind, you're naked, Spiritually speaking, I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that's been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Buy white garments from me so you will not be ashamed of your nakedness. Ointment for your eyes so that you will be able to see because I correct and discipline everyone that I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. So we see here, The second problem in this church is self-sufficiency. Indifference has created a notion that they don't actually need anything. And it's interesting to note that historians actually have uncovered that the city motto for Laodicea is, we don't need anything. They were so independent that they decided to emblazon that on everything that they made, you know, the letterhead that they had for their city. Um, It came about in a couple of different ways. One way was that in A.D. 60, there was an earthquake in that region, and it destroyed much of the city of Laodicea. And so Rome, as the big imperial power, came to them and said, oh, this is a horrible thing. We have a financial aid disaster package that we'd like to provide for you so you can rebuild the city. And Laodicea said, no thanks, We don't need a thing. We're going to do this ourselves, thank you very much. And they did. They rebuilt the city with their own resources from the ground up. They were the model of self-sufficiency. Their banks were the most solvent in the whole of the ancient world. You can remember when the uh, church in Jerusalem had need, the collection that was taken up actually came from Laodicea. These are people who had capacity in many, many ways. And not only that, not only were they a model of self-sufficiently, but they also prided themselves on the fact that they had the leading fashion industry in the ancient world was based in Laodicea. So everybody in Laodicea prided themselves in being the best dressed with the latest fashions that anyone had. And they exported this all to the rest of the ancient world. Not only were they best dressed, they had this clothing industry. They put their wool out to the best, highest-paying customers. They also had a top-tier medical school. They were like the Harvard of their day. And they had invented in Laodicea a medicine that was believed in the ancient world to cure or help blindness or people who had poor eyesight. And so Jesus speaks to them again in language that's just so crisp and so clear and so on point for them in their day. He says, oh, you think you're wealthy. Oh, yeah, you can be rich in things, but you're completely spiritually bankrupt. So let's not mistake that. He says, if you think you're rich, no, there's a different kind of gold that you are completely lacking. You need to come to me to find it and buy it. Oh, clothing. Oh, you guys think you're so enamored with looking fantastic to the outside world. Yeah, you can look good on the outside, but I actually look at the heart, and I care about what's going on in the interior of your life. And so other people might be distracted by all of that. I'm not fooled. I know exactly what's happening in the inside. You're sick, and you need help. Oh, medicine. Oh, oh, you guys think you're all about helping other people see everything clearly all the time. Spiritually, can we talk about the fact that you're blind and you do not see things as you truly are? So Jesus goes right after this church's area and this city's area of its most cherished uh, self-image and says, it's all built on a fraud. You need to correct this level of self-sufficiency. So what's the church to do? What's the the solution to problems of self-sufficiency and lukewarm indifference? Well, lukewarmness is fundamentally due to the fact that we have pushed Jesus out of areas of our lives. And so the solution isn't just to exert more self-sufficiency. The solution is actually to open the door again. Let's finish off in Revelation 3, 20 to 22. Jesus says, look... I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. And if you hear my voice and you open the door, I will come in and I want to share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Anyone who hears with ears must listen to the spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. See, when I was little, And growing up in a small country church in northern BC, they had pictures like artwork on the basement in the wall. And one of them that always stuck with me was the classic painting by Holman Hunt where Jesus is standing at the outside of a closed door and he's knocking. And the Sunday school teachers were careful to point out all of the fabulous descriptions about this to us. Look, there's no handle on the outside. The door must be open from the inside. Just like it is when Jesus comes to you, you must express in your will that you want him to come in. And in my recollection and in my history, this was always used in an evangelistic setting. It was always talking about that Jesus was standing outside the door of your heart if you didn't know him and he was knocking and wanted to come in. Not an inappropriate metaphor at all, but as I was reading and preparing this message again, I began to realize something I don't think I'd paid attention to before, and that is that Jesus is saying this phrase to his church. He's not speaking to people who are pre believing or an unbelieving world, he's speaking to those who are already in a relationship with him to those who already believe that they have it all together. Inside of the church, Jesus is saying, I'm in the church already, I'm in your life, but I'm knocking because there's areas that I don't have access to. And I would like that. Because inside of each of our hearts, there's areas of apathy and indifference that lurk. And a lot of times these are caused by intentionally excluding Jesus from those areas. And just saying to him, you know what? I'm so glad, Jesus, that you are concerned about my spiritual life and about all of those things. But if you could not bother me about my finances, that would be helpful. I don't want to grow a heart of compassion for people who are wrestling with life and death circumstances in other parts of the world. Like, just stay out of that part of my life. Stop messing around with it, please. But Jesus stands at the door and he knocks. And he says, hey, I'm already in relationship with you. This is an inside door I'm knocking on, not an outside door. It's like we're sitting in our big lazy boy in the living room watching TV, and Jesus is knocking and saying, Hey, Brad, I want to spend more time with you. I want to point out things in your life that you can experience even more of. I want to deepen my relationship with you. I have invitations I want to extend for you to be things for you to be about, to grow your heart. And I say over the noise of the TV and the crunch of my popcorn, did you hear something? Yeah, me neither. No, I'm just going to keep going with whatever it is that I'm doing. Who cares about whatever else is going on in the world? And so maybe today for you, there's an area of your life that you, God would want to point out and say, this is an area that there's apathy in or indifference in or an area where you've just said, I'll, I'll show a little bit of compassion about these things, but don't ever speak to me about these issues, God. They seem too much. Maybe God's putting his finger on your heart today and in your life in some way. And this weekend, many have or will be gathering around a table or sharing a meal, and that's the image that Jesus uses. He says, what I really want is to share a meal together. That meal, especially in Middle Eastern culture, is that place of deep friendship and meaning. Like when you bring food to someone or something like Annie brought for us here today. Like that's a deep expression of of hospitality, a deep expression of relationship. And so Jesus uses that image and says, I want to be a part of and share every part of your life together in this meal. And so I want us to respond to that in just whatever way God is inviting you. I'm going to ask Ron and the team to come up, and they're going to lead us in a song of response. Uh, Which just invites us to say again, you know what, God, I express to you that I don't want to live a life of complete self-sufficiency. I don't want to just push my chair back from the Thanksgiving table and say, glad I have everything I need. Too bad about those other people in other parts of the world. Let's allow God to put his finger on areas of need in our own lives, spiritually, relationally, in every other way, and invite him yet again to demonstrate, and let's vocalize yet again our desire and our need for him. Let's stand together, and we'll respond as we sing.